You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This episode kicks off a new series, Getting to Know You, Conversations with Leaders and Achievers. Today, Roxana Mehran interviews P. Gabriel Steck. Hello, listeners. This is Roxana Moran on Rock's Heart Radio. This series is getting to know you and uh, I've chosen some of the giants in our field of interventional cardiology, cardiovascular disease and today with me I'm honored to have Dr. Gabrielle Steg, Philippe Gabrielle Steg, but we go by Gabrielle Steg from Paris. We're just thrilled to have you here, Gabrielle. You truly are a giant in our field. I feel your contributions have been so seminal from all the different parts, uh, not just in interventional cardiology, but in prevention, primary, secondary prevention. Your contribution for heart disease in women, especially what you presented about the French women, I, I remember that. And just a tremendous amount, I mean, the, uh, the literature is studied and, and so much better with your incredible contribution. So welcome to our program. Thank you. So this is a program to get to know you a little bit better than what you write in the papers. Uh, so Gabrielle, tell me a little bit about your background. Um, where were you born? Where are you from? Which city? All of that. So I'm, uh, I'm a true Parisian. I was born and raised in Paris and I lived all my life in Paris. I come from a medical family. My father was a surgeon, a urologist, quite a famous urologist in France. And my mother was a gynecologist. So. At home, family conversations over dinner were all about medicine, and it's probably the one reason I went into medicine was curiosity. I was curious mm. to understand what my parents had been talking about for so long over dinner. Mm. Uh, so yes, uh, and and you have background. a really close family, and I see that that uh, so much in who you've become. I mean, I obviously know you a little bit better than what the world knows you. You have an amazing, incredible uh, partner in life, your uh, your wife, of 27 years, or is 20, it 28 years? 28 years. It's Renewing our vows this year. <laughs> yes, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm, I've been very lucky. I've yeah, been incredibly it, lucky, and we have four wonderful children together, ranging from 27 years old to four and a half years old. Yeah, it's amazing, and and just to see that kind of continuity with a single partner in cardiology is extremely rare so I want to congratulate you not just in your publications but also in your private life I know that every time I see you when when you were blessed with your son uh, four years ago and how excited you were and what an amazing um, sort of having this brand new baby this beautiful boy in your home and how much that meant to you and I've always been very impressed with how you have always put family first. So how do you manage it all? How do you do that? Well, as you very well know, this, these are challenging issues for every professional and every physician who has a, an academic career, a clinical career, and tries to do things on top of that. Um, I have an incredible partner, as you mentioned, my wife Isabel. Uh, she's, a, she's an incredible individual. She's an attorney, but she has multiple commitments to humanitarian causes, fighting prejudice, uh, going into school, she's a cinematographer, she, she, she does a, myriad, a million things so she, on top of So you're sort of the, um, the wife, uh, you're the husband Exactly. <laughs> Generally, most people know me as the husband of Isabel. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you have one daughter, three sons, so you, you're surrounded with sort of a good balance, right, And in, in, in the home. Um, I've seen you um, 
very much uh, what I'm really amazed at is how much you love some of the you're one Parisian who loves American things is that is that uh, how does that happen why well, I know you love American football for example yes. and you're a major Giants fan I hope is yes. that is that true the New York Giants yes it's true it goes back to Joe Pizzacci so that tells you how <laughs> how long ago it started yeah. yes I, I've been uh, I when I visited the US uh, in the uh, uh, 70s I became enamored with American culture, which you know in Europe was already very big at the time, and I fell in love with football. I saw OJ play in Buffalo oh, at the time, wow. uh, 1974, Rich Stadium, uh, and um, uh, so yes, I follow American culture very much. Uh, so what brought you to America in the 1970s? So um, traveling, travel, family, some cousins in America, and my brother went on to study in Boston. So I visited him for a couple of summers, and that's really where I really yeah, got Because hooked. your English is not quite Parisian. You yes. know, you speak beautifully. I mean, I can understand you when you speak When I was English. a teenager, I was in a rock band, like many teenagers, and ah. I did what you do in rock bands. You listen, and you repeat, and you try to emulate what uh, Mick Jagger and, and, and Paul McCartney sing, and that's probably a very good method for learning languages. So what, what did you play in the band? I w because I was the worst guitar player of the bunch, I got assigned to bass. <laughs> Great. So you are actually musically talented and inclined. No, yeah? I'm a better listener than a performer. So, so was it a rock band, like really, sort of like the Who and? It was very. We were very much into uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, oh. Neil Young, that kind of stuff. Oh. It was the easy things okay. that we could handle because our musical talent was limited. But oh. yes, that was uh, that. So, era. were you excited to see Mick Jagger do his oh thing after Taver? Oh my I God! I saw you tweeting that. Jumping Jack Flash. It's amazing. Jumping right? again. Amazing. So, so you did all your schooling here in Paris. Yes. But you tra you've traveled everywhere. So, have you visited all the continents? Yes, I actually I was in Australia last week. It was the last oh, continent really? I had ah. never been to. So I've been to many places. Uh, you know, it's one of the uh, perks of academic life uh, that you get to, to to travel and know people from so many different areas. And I love traveling. I absolutely love traveling. I love going to Asia. I love. Going Going to places in Europe, the culture. I love the U.S. I love South America. No, I, it's I enjoy very much traveling. I travel a little too much, and it's it's getting uh, hard to maintain the balance between work, family life. If you travel too much, this year I really uh, uh, I uh, I traveled a little too much, and uh, I go. It goes through periods. I travel for three months, and then I tell myself I have to stop, and then I travel much less for six months, and then it comes back. I know because uh, we are often amazed about the roles you turn down just to stay home. And that's just as brave as taking on roles that are difficult to pick up. Like, I've, we've invited you several times to so many things where you say, Roxanne, I, I need to cut down on travel. And that's sort of very brave because most of us are scared to say no because then they'll never come back to ask. So I wanted to ask you, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, what was the turning point for you to turn on to these to this whole clinical trial settings and what it is and that that really excites you about what's going on in cardiology today? Well, you know, it's funny because I started off uh, in my academic career in terms of science uh, in laser angioplasty with Jeff Isner in the uh, early 80s. And then I got interested in restenosis and trying to prevent and treat restenosis using gene therapy. And after 
more than 10 years of work as we were getting there around the year 2000. And we're finally successful in implementing gene therapy experimentally. We're about to go to clinical trials. Then Ravel comes out and the cipher stent it comes out. And we feel, you know, again, once again, a simple solution beats a complex, reasonable uh, a design derived from basic science. And I got a bit fed up with not making a clinical impact. And around that time, Lars Valentin asked me to join the PLATO trial uh, steering committee. And that was an eye-opener because Plato was, uh, first of all, I learned enormously from uh, the, the steering committee members there and, and Lars's example. I learned uh, about clinical trials, and then when the results came out, I saw that we were really making a difference in clinical practice, and that really got me excited. We can change practice in clinical trials. And I got to know all the leaders in the field, you know, Bob Harrington and Deepak Bhatt and uh, Salim Yusuf and Keith Fox and so many others. And um, it, was really, uh, it was really fun doing this. And I think that you know, cardiology has been blessed to have so many big trials, so many contributing trials to advance the field over the past 20 years. Now we're in the next phase. I think we, we've made so much progress that it becomes asymptotic and to go to further progress, then we'll need to change our model to simpler models, registry-based trials, using biomarkers, using uh, 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 precision medicine, or try to implement precision medicine in our trials. That's going to be challenging. Uh, we need very uh, bright people to guide us there. Um, I think we need to invest in uh, the translational aspect uh, of this new science that's emerging of big data, artificial intelligence to guide us there and, and also make it simple. So it's, it's really challenging. Whether we're going to be able to negotiate this in the next 10 years, I think, is, is the big question. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm really glad that you're speaking this language because we've been talking about large, simple trials for a decade now. And it's, I think the time is now. There's enough technology and enough access to patients and bringing them into the equation and I don't know that there's anybody who better than you to think about how to make a complex situation more simple. Anytime that I'm in a committee with you and I sit around in a round table, I'm always very, very um, uh, impressed by how you take very complicated problems and you'll say, wait a minute, let's think simply. Is this how... Uh, you know, you sort of go back to the building blocks, and, and I love that about how you how you think. What what drives you to think that way? More solving complex problems with simple solutions. I mean, you talked about Ravel, but I think you're doing much bigger things. Um, sort of like what you're what you're doing right now with a antiplatelet regimen in a diabetic patient population. So the Themis trial. I, I know we can't talk about it, but obviously that trial is very, very exciting that you're leading. Um, and to me, it's sort of like out-of-the-box thinking uh, rather than sort of, oh, these are stented patients. Oh, let's go after this particular patient population. What drives you to kind of problem solve this way? Well, you know, I think there are really two ways of thinking. Uh, you can be analytic or you can be synthetic. So you can break down a problem into so many pieces and get interested in the pieces, or you can try to build the pieces into one simple clinical question and there are merits to both approaches I've been more on the synthetic approach I want to get a simple clinical answer to a simple clinical question and clinical trials often allow that I, in fact they often give you one answer to one question 
and then we try to get many answers from the same data set, but often it's difficult. Uh, you know, I, li I like clinical trials because of that. You, you, ask, you ask a question and you get an answer and then you have to make the best out of it. And the answer is not necessarily yes or no. It has to be in shades of gray. And as you know, as we move from a frequentist interpretation of trials to a more Bayesian approach of trials, I think we're getting more and more educated about the fact that we shouldn't have a yes-no approach to clinical evidence. So, a couple of other questions just quickly. Is the future bright? Yes, definitely, especially for cardiology. Look, look how well we've done, and we're continuing to make progress. It's amazing that we continue to have therapies that have so much impact on clinical outcomes, despite the progress we've already made. I mean, if we had this in other fields, just cancer, it would be mind-blowing. But in cardiology, everybody's used to it. You get 20% reduction in morbid mortality with every new advance, and everybody seems to think it's normal. So, uh, and what advice do you have for some of the young people who are listening, our young listeners, um, they really are very advantaged, aren't they, compared to what we had when we started. What advice do you have for them? Well, the advice is really um, um, uh, find the dream thing you want to do and do it. I mean, when, you know, when I, I'm discussing and talking with the younger colleagues about where to go for a fellowship and where to go to train, um, I just ask them, you know, where do you dream of going? tell us about it and then we'll arrange it because that's how it works uh, you shouldn't give, go for second best just dream your question dream your career dream exactly what do you want to do dream about it and we'll make it happen so as a Parisian and a New Yorker here talking to each other I can't I can't resist but to ask you some questions so wine or beer wine red of red wine okay so red over white wine no question. French or Italian wine? I like lighter wines, French. French. Football or football? Football, <laughs> definitely. I mean, the French have the are the champions of the World well, Cup. Last week I was introduced to a no, new kind of football, Australian rules football. Yeah, what did you think of that? Oh, that was really fun. <laughs> that was different. really fun. Thanks to Steve Nichols and, yeah. and Phil Edelward, I went to see a game of Australian footy. And that's another brand of football that was also fun to watch. Twitter, Facebook? Twitter. Twitter. Uh, and I'm not going to ask too much more, but who's your favorite, favorite uh, uh, sports, um, sort of uh, the sportsman or woman? The one that inspires you? Because I know you follow sports. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, these days, I have to say Kevin Durant. He's amazing, huh? Oh. Incredible. Incredible. So you like basketball too? Yes. Yeah, so you really That's follow more, all more, of our... A more recent interest of mine, uh -huh. but, but I have to say the NBA is, is amazing, particularly during the playoffs. So the beach or the snow slopes? The beach. The beach, okay. The beach in the shade with a good book. Ah, and your favorite book? Jorge Luis Borges Ficciones, really? Investigations, uh, an is Argentinian writer. This is absolute must reading. Oh, I didn't know anything about that. Okay, well, we'll have to do that. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Short and strong. Short and strong. I love it. Well, these are really great insights. We really are getting to know you. Um, one last thing you know, that I'm very, very proud to know you and to know that not only are you so close with cardiology and making huge impact, that you put family first, but also you have a very, very deep 
spiritual, religious um, upbringing, and your Talmudic um, uh, teachings have really made, paid paid off tremendously. And we're very, very lucky to have you in, uh, in, in this field. And so thank you for being on my inaugural, the first guy to get to know. I'm honored. <laughs> on this Rock's Heart Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much for fun. this conversation. A lot of fun. Thanks. It's Roxana Moran signing off on Rock's Heart Radio.